What, what would you do if I told you that the fear of the Lord is probably one of the most foundational keys for you to experiencing the kind of life that Jesus has for you? I mean, what if I said, you know, if you really want the, some of the fundamental keys, one indispensable key is the fear of the Lord. And you'd go, most people just automatically go, mm. why? Because the, the natural human response to the fear of the Lord is going to be a perverse understanding of the fear of the Lord. That the fear of the Lord means you're always scared, please don't kill me, please don't kill me, no more lightning, you know, that kind of thing, right? You know, I made a mistake, I don't wanna go to hell. I mean, there's, there's that kind of fear of the Lord. So that's our natural carnal response. And then our cultural response, our culture says, well, if you have the fear of the Lord, the fear of God, well, you know, you're bowing the, new, uh, bowing the knee to the ultimate oppressor, right? That was fun to say that. Um, no, but I mean, it's like the fear of the Lord and all this sort of stuff, he's just gonna give you a rule. So yeah, you're godly, but you'll be really boring and sad. I mean, that's what most people have this natural reaction because of their culture and our basic human nature about the fear of the Lord. But the thing is, the fear of the Lord is a biblical concept. It's a biblical reality. It's in the Bible. That's what makes it biblical. I mean, it's in the Bible. It's true. It's real. It's life-giving. But our nature and our culture has stolen it. It's just stolen it. The way, the way, the way our nature and our culture steals other biblical words like, or phrases like submission to authority. I mean, submission to authority biblically is the key to having influence. If you're not properly related to authority, you're not gonna have much influence, not much kingdom influence. It's just such an important thing, but submission to authority, you know, is just bad. Like, uh-uh-uh, nobody's gonna tell me what to do. But it's amazing how our basic nature and our culture will steal or defile life-giving biblical concepts. And my heart is to speak in such a way that God restores the fear of the Lord to us, restoring it to us. So what I'm gonna do is I can't sell you anything, but I'm gonna talk about the benefits of the fear of the Lord, just to get us start thinking, whatever your ideas of the fear of the Lord, just to hold them lightly, see what the Bible says about the fear of the Lord, and I can pretty much guarantee a lot of our reactions up here will not match up what God means by the fear of the Lord. So here's some of the benefits of the fear of the Lord. You ready? We all, we, you know, for those of us who are genuinely saved, not just going to church or did a prayer, you know you're a child of God. You know something, we, we can know that we're saved, but it seems sort of far off. Yeah, we're saved. Yeah, Jesus loves us. It's just a really good life-giving theory, right? There's something about when the, that salvation, the fact that we are saved by God, when it's real to us, it, it just changes how we live. Look at this, Psalm 85, verse nine. His salvation is near to those who fear him. Hmm. Psalm 25, verse 14. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known or real to them. Think about this. When you have a really good friend, one of the marks of a good friend 
is they share things about themselves they don't share with others. That's just what they do. And there's something about when God talks to us, not just as you know, someone he's saved, but as a friend, when he confides in us, when, when there's a kind of intimacy where there's a conversation and he shares some things about how he thinks and how he feels. Mm, that's a good feeling. Even if it has nothing to do with you, the fact that God would share something about himself, he would confide in you. The key to that The Lord confides in those who fear him. Isn't that interesting? I think we all want to be blessed. Look what it says in Psalm 128, verse 1. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. Not perfectly, but they do things his way. The fear of the Lord brings blessing. Thank you. Who said right? Okay, good. When I tour, y'all can come with me. Going, "Uh uh-huh, In Psalm 145, verse 19, not all of our desires are really good desires or godly desires, but hopefully you know by now that God created us with purpose and he gives us certain desires, uh, ideas on who we are, who we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to accomplish, our identity, our purpose, and all that. And he gives us passions, he gives us desires. Have you ever tried to pull off what you desire in your own strength? Good luck with that. It's really hard, it's really hard, but... He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. The fear of the Lord is an indispensable ingredient for our experiencing God's plan for our life. Here's another one. Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Part of my story, I already mentioned I used to be a philosophy guy. And as a saved philosophy guy, I was always back and forth between, well, this is what I think and this is what God thinks. And I... I would negotiate with God. You know, there's some things I'd go, surely you didn't mean that. Or that, you know, this is an old book, you know. <laughs> this is really an old book. And it was written by, well, you know, old white men. So surely it's got to be, you know, irremediably biased, right? I mean, I, I, I thought a lot of those things way before it was fashionable. Man, I bought that stuff. In any case, as a Christian, what I would do is, I would study and study and study and you know, cogitate and study and think and all. And I actually thought that the more I learned, the closer I would get to God and the more God would love me. And then I backslid. And then I got filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what brought me up, what brought me back. And it was just you know, transformative. And the very first thing that God spoke to me after I was done praying in tongues for the first time was The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That turned me upside down, inside out. I've been trying so hard to just work myself to be able to connect with God, so you know, get smart enough so I could really connect with God. And God's going, no, 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 you got it backwards. Connect with me, then you'll start learning how to be smart. (laughs) Can you imagine actually thinking that you can get a PhD in God? Anyway. Isaiah 33, verse 6, he will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. What's the key to that? The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. I mean, that's what it's saying. No matter what you may think of the fear of the Lord, what, what, what your natural mind and your culture teaches, there it is. The fear of the Lord is the key to a pretty good treasure. Then there's a, in, in Proverbs 22, verse 4, humility and the fear of the Lord. It's like a good mixed drink. You need both. 
non-alcoholic for those of you. <laughs> Humility and the fear of the Lord, what do they do? They bring wealth and honor and life. Isn't that interesting? We're looking for honor in all the wrong places. If only people would say they're sorry for historical bad things against my people. Look, I have a Jewish background. I got a bone to pick with people. If only people would do that, then I'd feel valuable. Then I'd feel honored. And God's going, you know, you don't need that from people. Why don't you get honor from the Lord? And the fear of the Lord is the key to honor. Isn't that crazy? God's so different. Here's another one. I just love this. Proverbs 8, 13. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. Listen, many of us manage unforgiveness. We go, God, I know you, you've forgiven me. Thank you. And they did really bad things and it really wounded me. And I have these infected wounds and I'm just doing good to manage this. And God's going, yeah, yeah you're managing it. But once you actually see the evil that unforgiveness is, the, the utter dark, poisonous damage that unforgiveness does, not only to you, but to other people. It defiles you. It doesn't just put a limp in your walk. It defiles you, and it defiles all those around you. When you see it, you go, ick, whatever ick, new biblical concept. Ick, this is nasty. This is evil. I don't care what it costs. I'm going to forgive that person because I don't want that thing in my life or squeezing out through my life. And you know, to get to that place where you go, I'm not managing this stuff anymore. Fear of the Lord is the key to seeing sin for what it is. Like, how could I do that? Here's another one. Sorry, I no, I'm not sorry I raised my voice. The southern part of me said, sorry, I raised my voice. The New Jersey, you know, part of me is sitting there, you ain't heard nothing. Here's another one, Proverbs 19.23. Oh, I'm sorry, missed one. Proverbs 14.27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. The fear of the Lord will turn a man and a woman from the snares of death. Have you ever been tempted? Yes, all of us have. Some of us have been tempted to do real stupid things. Some of us have actually done the stupid things. I know this is what God says. I'm an exception. We do it. Our life blows up, right? The fear of the Lord will keep us from the snares of death. When we have the fear of the Lord, we go, now that'd be dumb to do. Why would I do that? It would hurt me. It would hurt the family that I say I love, and it'll hurt my testimony. Man, I'm not gonna, the fear of the Lord will put you in a position where you go, I'm not going that way. I may not know where I'm going, but I'm not going that way. There's something about the fear of the Lord that, I mean, if you try to do that in your own st strength, good luck. It'll last maybe a week. But the fear of the Lord will keep us from that. Here's another one, one of my favorite ones. They're all my favorite. Proverbs 19:23. It says, "The fear of the Lord leads to life. Then we rest content, untouched by trouble." I don't know about you. The world's a hard place. Politics or not, your personal life, your cultural life, all this sort of stuff. Would you like to be aware of all the weird stuff going on? All the, you know, just understand, be confused and all that. However, because you have the fear of the Lord, you can rest content. You can be the calm in the middle of that storm. 
untouched by all the stuff going on. Wouldn't that be a nice thing to do? Right? I mean, many of us are sitting there going, I don't know what to do. CNN, Fox, CNN, Fox, what to do? Turn the TV off. (laughs) Sorry. And for those of us who are into, you know, the Great Commission, that that church is not just to teach us how how a good life, but actually that the church is to equip us so the kingdom of God is made real in us and then through us, the kingdom of God is supposed to move through us to advance the kingdom against the gates of hell and all that. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being strengthened or built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort or the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Isn't that interesting? When a church is just walking in the fear of the Lord, led by the Holy Spirit, guess what? The kingdom of God is advanced and more and more people come into the kingdom. Mm. Fear of the Lord is pretty important. Try to do this without the Holy Spirit. Try to do this without the fear of the Lord. You'll have a lot of great meetings, but not much fruit. So whatever you may think about the fear of the Lord, just hold that lightly. It's probably too narrow or just absolutely wrong. Just saying, okay? When you see what the fear of the Lord is, even if you don't have it, you're gonna, or at least you should, ask two questions. Uh, So what is the fear of the Lord? I know what it can produce. What is the fear of the Lord? And this looks pretty good. How do I get it? That's the reasonable, rational thing. When you see what God says about the fear of the Lord, you are, what is it, and how do I get it? Glad you asked. That's why I'm here. The fear of the Lord is sort of hard to define. At the very least, it involves the revelation of four different points. When I say revelation, I'm not meaning information. Many times we get information, and it's just information. It's data we stored, and it doesn't uh, change us. Revelation is when God takes information and Holy Spirit breathes on it and all of a sudden becomes real. Where you go, oh, oh, this is true. Like it jumps off the page. Or, 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 or when Pastor Thomas says something, it's as if what he said was only for you. It's some, there's, there's a revelation that comes by the Holy Spirit. The aha moment. And so the fear of the Lord is not an idea. The fear of the Lord is not a concept. It's not this new theological thing. It's something that comes by revelation through the Holy Spirit. And what are those things? Here's four things. One is, it's the revelation that Jesus is real. Did you hear some of the testimonies up there? Yeah, he was out there for a while, but now he's real. Fear of the Lord, right there, right there. Jesus is real. He's not the big guy up in the sky. He's present. He won't leave us. Or free. I mean, he's there, and he loves us, and he's a person. When someone has that revelation that, wait a second, Jesus is real, and I know he's real. My mind knows he's real. My heart knows he's real. Mm, you're starting to nibble on the, fir- the fear of the Lord. But wait, there's more. This is a revelation that Jesus means everything he says, and he backs up what he says. I had a dad who's about as saved as an Easter egg, but he was a man of integrity. He really was. When dad says, look, I promise you, you do this, 
will do this. I knew it was going to happen. He also, he said, now, son, I want you to do this, and I don't want you to do this. And if you do this, mm, 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 right, there'll be consequences. And I wasn't afraid of my dad. I didn't come near my dad saying, please don't hit me anymore. It was none of that. But I knew when my dad said something, he meant it. And he always backed it up with action. Now, of course, this is a nice you know, metaphor for scripture. The Bible is what Jesus has said. Sorry, the whole thing. I don't understand all of it. And there's some things I'm going, well, you know, if I were God, I wouldn't do this. But the thing is, this is God. And he really means it. What's in there is true. You may object to it. You may have a better idea. But it's true. He means it, and he'll back it up. Third, it's the revelation that Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus did not go, hi, I am like the best Jewish pastor ever. I just love everybody. And I was on methadone way before it was developed. I was just peace and love and all this sort. I just love you, blah, 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 blah. No, Jesus actually had this attitude that he was God. I mean, like, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus walked around with this attitude. <clears throat> I'm God. He was very humble. But did you notice Jesus very rarely asked people to do something? He says, go do this, right? So many of us go, well, you know, the Lord just asked me. I go, well, he's just being nice. He's just being nice. I and mean, if Jesus is asking you to do something, he's going, I really want you to do it. He really does, Okay. He's just not a religious guy. Anyway, Jesus said, says he is God. And when you get the revelation that Jesus is not this great, just this great big brother who comes alongside when we need him and comforts him, that actually he's the guy. That he knows everything. He is all powerful. Not just the most powerful thing. He is all powerful. He... He's always right. Have you ever argued with God? I mean, he, he's an eternal God. He's got time before you get it. God, Jesus is always right. No matter t how many times you try to cut a, a mutual non-aggression pact with God. I know what you said, and this is what I really think. Can't we just sort of work together? No, he's always right. And he's our only source of life. He's our only source of hope. He's our only source of salvation. Only, I looked it up in Webster's, means only. Yeah. <laughs> and Jesus goes, hey, look, you want to get a life? Only. Right? I'm God, not just a really cool guy that's connected up to the big guy. I'm God, co-equal with God the Father and God the Spirit. You know, when you get that, things change. And then the fourth thing is the revelation that, look, he's real, he's a person, he means what he says, and he backs up, right, and he's actually God, it's very natural to go, hmm, maybe you actually deserve my wholehearted devotion and obedience. Like maybe, you know, you're always right, you know everything, you died for me, you are my highest priority. And I'm not just talking during a worship service. You, you find out what your priorities are when your priority conflicts with God's. 
Are you going to yield when your ideas, your ways conflict with God's? And because, when you have the revelation that he's God, he loves me, he's real, he really means it, it's like, it makes it easier to go, I yield, teach me your way. Does that make sense? That's the fear of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, that's the fear of the Lord, it's a revelation, it's something that God can give us from now until we go to heaven. And it's a pretty good deal, there's a lot of benefits, eh? How do we get it? Well, first you gotta remove the obstacles. Here's one, ignorance. There are people who are going, yeah, I love the Lord, I got saved, and they're probably going to heaven. I mean, they had the transaction, but they never know, they, they never had that revelation that, oh my gosh, He's a person, he's real, he means everything, he's always right, and he, what else could I worship but him? People don't know that that's available to us, and you don't know what you don't know, but ignorance is not bliss. Um, in Hosea 4, 6, this is what God says, my people are destroyed, they're torn apart, they become discombobulated for lack of knowledge. What we don't know, we don't know. But some of the things that we don't know, we pay a price. Without knowing, we're paying the price. Fear of the Lord, one obstacle is ignorance. Here's another one, arrogance. By arrogance, it's like this, God, I love you, thank you for saving me, I've got an idea of what my best version of me should be, and you know, if you'll just help me, and look, I know you're 24-7 God, and when I need you, I'll call you, Otherwise, it's my steering wheel. I get to drive the car. That you, you are an insurance policy, but you're not the Lord of my life. That you don't get to tell me. You know, you don't, you don't get to get in the weeds with me. And that's a kind of arrogance. Here's another one. Having a divided heart. Biblically, we call that idolatry. We have a love for God. And we have a love for a lot of other things. And a lot of the other things we love, they're good things. Maybe even things that God has given. You know, for me, one of my biggest idols, if I'm not careful, will be ministry. I mean, I love God, and I love doing what I'm called to do. And it's amazing sometimes those things compete. But a, a, a divided heart will get in the way of the fear of the Lord. Look at this. In Psalm 86, verse 11, this David, he goes, teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. You give me an undivided heart so that I may fear your name. Isn't that interesting? Goes, I've got a divided heart. I really want to do this, and you want me to do this, and I can't do both at the same time. This is competing with you, God, and I can't change it, but would you give me an undivided heart? When we surrender the competition, God starts reorienting things. Here's another one, unconfessed sin. Oh, you're gonna go there, yes. Unconfessed sin, many times is there are things we've done before that we no longer do, but we still carry the residual impact of unconfessed sin. There are things that we're doing right now that are in the gray area. If, if Jesus would just show up in bodily form, we'd probably go, no, 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 let's put that away, right? Or you know, how, how we treat our kids and how we, you know, how we talk about other people. I mean, the, you know, unconfessed sin, you get enough of it going, that will actually cut, you know, get in the way of the fear of the Lord. 
But look at this. In Psalm 130, and it's really verse 4, but with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. Isn't that interesting? Unconfessed sin keeps us from the fear of the Lord, but if we take our nasty stuff, when we take that to God and go, Lord, this is sin, I confess this, what will he do? He will forgive us, he will cleanse us, and one of the results is we start experiencing how real he is. We experience how faithful he is. We experience, oh, he's God and he's worthy. I'm telling you, when you take your nasty stuff, instead of managing your sin or justifying your sin, you bring it to God, he will forgive you, he will cleanse you, and then you'll get a little more of the taste of the fear of the Lord. Then there's fear of fill in the blank. Some of us are just flat out afraid of being afraid or afraid of the devil or afraid of failure, afraid of the future. And there's one I missed in the first service, but this came up, the fear of our calling. We know God's calling us to more, but we know we're not competent. We don't wanna fail. And besides, we got a good thing going on. How could I give up all this for this? The, being afraid of God's calling. Hmm, Noah, he wasn't afraid of God's calling. This is crazy, God, I'll do it. But there was another guy called Jonah. What? What? Many of us have learned to hang drapes in the belly of our whale. Sometimes we're afraid of the calling of God on our lives. But what, we, what I really want to land, some of you got that one, that's good. You know, you can get, like you can get used to horse, horse farms, you know, that stuff. You can get whale belly smell. You can get used to it. And you'd be able to live in it as long as you got internet. But here's another thing that really gets in the way, and this is where God wants to land, probably for all of us. It's the fear of man. Listen, the fear of man. God created us to actually care about what other people think. You know, it's a sign of wisdom. Before I do this, what might people think? What might people do? It's wisdom. I mean, the more, the more responsibility you have as a leader, the more you better take this into account. However, when what people do, might do, what they might think, when that conflicts with what you know God is telling you, and if you yield to that instead of God's will, you're trapped. It says here, the fear of man will prove to be a snare. Have you ever, let's say you have an ungodly relationship, you know, you love God, this person just wears a cross, they're not saved, right? Wonderful person, she likes you, right? And, but you go, mm, this ain't God's plan for my life, but if you go, I'm sorry, I've got to follow God, and so I'm not good enough. And then everybody in school start talking about, oh, there's this Christian, it's amazing how many times what people might say or do. And of course now, now, my gosh, depending on what you say, believe, or do, you could get canceled. The fear of, the Lord, uh, the fear of man is a snare. There's this guy, he's with the Lord, he's a German guy. Some of you probably have heard of him. A guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He wrote, he who fears the Lord can't fear man. You know, what is man, all right? but he who fears man cannot fear the Lord. Now, he's sort of a German guy, so it's like black and white, you know? 
And now I mean, it's like either this or this. And if I were his editor, I would have said, no, no, no. To the extent that we fear the Lord, then to that extent, we don't fear man. But to the extent that we fear man, then to that extent, it's hard, you know, it's hard to fear the Lord. Now, taught on the benefits, taught on what the fear of the Lord is, and I've talked about the obstacles. Here's the, the good news. There's nothing you can do that can impart to yourself the fear of the Lord. You can't say, well, I'm just going to go in the fear of the Lord because it's not your job. Your job, my job, our job is to let the Holy Spirit point out the obstacles. And if we surrender those things to him, then how God ministered to us, that will give us the fear of the Lord. You think I'm making this up? Thank you so much. But for some of you are going, yeah, you probably are. All right, Psalm 34, verse 11. This is Jesus's challenge to each and every one of us. It's actually a command. Come, my children. The invitation is, come to me first. Come and listen to me. Not your head, not your culture. Come, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. I will impart to you the fear of the Lord. I will coach you in the fear of the Lord. I will give you this ongoing revelation of who I am, how smart I am, how powerful I am, how worth, I will give that to you as you continually surrender those obstacles. Then you get the fear of the Lord. How many of you struggle with the fear of man? Just raise your hand. Come on now. All right, keep your hands up, please. Okay, stand up. It's not a request. My gosh, there's a room of cowards. <laughs> what will people think? Your wife is sitting there, she's got the fear of the Lord, and you're sitting there going, oh, the fear of man. What will she think? Do you realize just y'all getting up is one of the first things to saying, thus far and no further, the fear of man is not something I'm gonna manage or tolerate. Wouldn't it be great to go, the fear of man shall no longer be familiar. That shall not rule me. The fear of man will not be my God. Mm. When you surrender the fear of man, God does some really cool things, and then you start fearing him. Like, his will is more important. His will is more believable. His word, his will is going to be more life-giving. Since y'all are standing, there's something I want to pray. A couple of things I want to pray. You ready? Okay. If not, I'm going to do it anyway. I believe the fear of man is something that's very natural in people, but I think it's also a spirit. It's like many of us have this little fire, the fear of man, and the enemy comes and pours gas on it. And I want to deal with that. And then God wants to do something for each and every one of us. But here's the first thing. I'm just going to take authority. Lord Jesus, we come to you and we confess to you the fear of man. We don't confess it in a way where 
we have to flagellate ourselves or we're really bad people, but we confess this sin. And you promise not only to forgive us, but to start transforming us. So God, we surrender our fear, the fear of man to you, knowing that when we surrender that, you start doing good things. And while you're doing that, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over the familiar spirit of the fear of man. It is a spirit, I tell you, that says, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, if you don't fall in line, you'll get canceled. It is not a political movement. It is a spirit that is being poured out on basic human foibles. In the name of Jesus, I declare over all my brothers and sisters that, the, that this spirit shall no longer be familiar. It won't be that familiar thing that we just learned to bow. We don't have to bow up and be brave, but we no longer tolerate the voice of the stranger. The voice of the stranger that says, do it right or you'll get in trouble. Who is man? So Lord, I ask that you would make that voice the voice of a stranger. And now this is what God wants to do. If we get worship people, that's a, that's a group of people. It's like a people group. It's like creatives. Creatives are their own little people group. They're like aliens to me. And worship people are like that too. I really want to get this right for us. In the book of Acts, a couple of apostles did some things outside of a church service. And the powers that be rose up and said, if you ever do that again, we will deal with you the way we've dealt with other ones. I mean, talk, you know, they're going to kill them. And what these guys did is they came back and they started praying. And they go, God, you consider their threats. You, like, their threats are your problem. But as for us, would you actually give us the power to advance the kingdom? Would you give us the power that might actually get us in trouble? Would you give us the power to demonstrate the reality of Jesus? even if it means inconvenience. And you know what Jesus' response to that was, oh, my children. Yeah, he did this, because he's sort of an insecure Jewish rabbi. <laughs> oh, my children, thank you that you would be so willing to live, live a painful, inconvenient life for my sake. But I died so that you would be happy. I died so you'd have no conflict. I died just so that you could be as blessed. No, that's not the Jesus that saves you. You know, you know what Jesus did? These are people who had already been filled with the Holy Spirit. He fills them again. He shakes the room, fills them. Isn't that amazing? In order to overcome the legitimate fear of man, Jesus gives them more power that comes from the Holy Spirit. How many of you like a little more power? Yeah, you go, yeah. And then next time it says, so what do you think about abortion? Well, you know, we just have to, you know, I mean, it's just an amazing thing. This thing will be tested. But you don't have to prove yourself. God will prove himself through you. But the point is that the fear of man, we're not built to be ruled by the fear of man. Because really in Luke it says, you who are evil, you know how to give good things to your kids. If your kids ask for something good, you're not going to give them something bad. How much more will your father just 
give the Holy Spirit to those who are good enough, who are holy enough, who've been experiencing the Lord for at least 15 years. No, those who want it enough to ask. So Lord Jesus, we've dealt with that gas can, that that spirit shall no longer be familiar. We may battle against it, but God, we need more than that. Lord, would you fill us with your spirit? Just with, with your own Wisconsin tones. Say, God, would you fill me with your spirit? And if you pray in tongues, great. If not, and you'd like to, say, God, I'd like to pray in tongues. And if you don't want to do any tongues, that's great. Say something nice to God. Worship him. Because right now, we can have as much of the Holy Spirit right now as we want. There's no cap. There's no diesel shortage. We can be as filled with the Holy Spirit as we want right now. As we worship, as we worship, keep on asking God to fill you with His Holy Spirit. This is not designed to be a one-off event. This is designed to set something in motion. Because after they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they, they, they came out of the meeting, they spoke the word of God boldly. They live without the fear of man and the gospel was spread to the whole region. You want to be part of that? Do you want to be part of that? Do you, do you want to just read about it or do you want to be part of that? God is here to start equipping us so we can be a part of that. Lord, start something where we walk increasingly in the fear of the Lord. Fill us as we worship. Let's go.